Father, I would ask that uh, we have an opportunity not just to hear music and and do some things together on a Sunday in this hour, but we would encounter you. And I ask that you, Holy Spirit, would speak through these words as you've spoken through these songs and you continue to speak through this morning. And I pray that you speak into our lives and we hear you and listen with just really humble, soft hearts. Always, ever. In Christ's name, amen. You know, I want to speak about signs. There are signs everywhere. They come in all shapes and sizes. And they're, you know, you're probably driving along the road on your way to here this morning. And I bet if you counted the signs, you would just be amazed at how many signs there are. They're just everywhere. Some are straightforward and clear, like you have right in the back exit signs in case we need to leave here quickly. Tell you right where to go. Sometimes those signs are tough to interpret. Just, you know, you even make you laugh at times. Here's a few that I found. For instance, um, East Batcave, in case Batman just gets lost. There is also this sign that says absolutely nothing next 12 miles. Which is, I think, um, ideal for those people who are living life with low expectations. And uh, there's also uh, this sign, secret nuclear bunker. <laughs> Not a secret any longer, right? Or, or you might um, see this, slow down or die. Lots of decisions you make while you go. And, and, and then this one here, which is, a, I'm not sure if it's a warning to alligators about reckless uh, wheelchairs or what it is. Um, that's a little bad. Okay. Ooh. They told me not to put that one in. Anyway, um, this one, attention. Dog guardians, pick up after your dogs. Thank you. Attention dogs. Grr, bark, woof. Good dog. Um, for you pet lovers. And then this one, isn't this great? If you're not getting the idea that you're to stop, this thing makes it really, really clear. You know, you're not to go anywhere. I think there's only one where you can, well, you can't even go up. So, anyway, this message this morning is about signs. And I've been in a series called Your Life Script. And some people's life script, yours might be or has been, is give me a sign, God. And God says, I'll give you one great big sign for all times. I want to address the issue that I believe Jesus encountered when he was standing before some of his own contemporaries, especially these religious authorities who, who, who basically had a life script where they were asking for a sign. And, and they would come before him often and say, I will believe you, Jesus, if you just prove to me, if you show me a sign, I'll step into faith. And I want to challenge you, some of you may be in that place today where you've kind of, you know, you've heard enough about, uh, you, you can't hardly grow up in our culture without hearing about Christ. We have a very, we're kind of a Christianized culture, but we've lost a lot of the essence of it. And the essence of it is that God wants a real encounter with you. He wants to live with you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to know you. He wants to come to you in grace and, and He wants to provide forgiveness. He wants you to walk in patience. He wants to take your character and He wants to take your life that seems to, at points you kind of go, why do I get into this rut and do this over and over again? He wants to, 
He invites you to humbly admit your need of him and then to walk with him. And you may be in that place where you're kind of saying, I'm ready to do it when you show me, prove to me. And then there are some of you who are in a place where you have entered into this relationship with God. You have had this encounter with this holy living God. And you might be at a place right now, right today, where you're asking him and you're saying to him, you know what, God, I'll move forward as soon as you prove to me and give me a sign. If you hear the words in Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, the Pharisees, it says, and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, when evening comes, you say, it'll be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning today, it'll be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky. But you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left and went away. Are there enough signs for you to believe? Are there enough signs for you to have faith to move into a real encounter with God? Well, the beginning of this, Jesus really um, I think Matthew, as he records this and the way that Jesus uh, comes about it, is it, it points out one thing that I think, think is just the first thing that we got to look at, and that is the essential of faith. The Pharisees and Sadducees said, I believe you if you just give me some irrefut- irrefutable proof or evidence. And I, I have to tell you how often my attitude has been like that throughout life. Those, those times where you kind of say, you know, if you just prove it to me, then I'll commit. That's why the Pharisees and Sadducees, they come to Jesus and you've you, you got to note this, not humbly to be able to understand and to know and to grow and to move into a relationship with this Jesus and with this God that he comes to them with, but really to test him, to kind of, you know, prove to me, show me. And it says they tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. Now, you need to know this wasn't the first time that these religious authorities were coming to Jesus asking for a sign. It's not the first time someone comes and says, Jesus, prove to me. In fact, Jesus was an itinerant preacher. And so as an itinerant, you would use the same messages. And often some similar questions would come up. And so in certain areas where he would be, in certain regions, these Pharisees and Sadducees or others would come to him and ask him probably the similar question. But in, in, in this gospel, Matthew records two occasions specifically. One is just a few chapters before this. In chapter 12, verse 38, just after Jesus had actually healed a man who had been blind and mute, and the scripture says, so that the man could both talk and see, which I think is interesting. It wasn't some kind of partial thing. You know, I'll do the blind stuff, but not the mute stuff. It's the whole shebang. And he says, until he could talk and see, it says, scripture says, some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him after that, teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. That's an interesting kind of position to put yourself in. And then we read here in Matthew chapter 16, verse 1, that the Pharisees and Sadducees, they came to Jesus. And these are two opposing parties. You have to realize this is like the Republicans and Democrats coming together around something. These were two people politically, theologically, in every other way. They just didn't, they didn't get along. They didn't in any way come together. But in this, they came together because this was something that was infringing upon their life. This was something about a God that was going to call them to have to know him and experience him in a new way. And so they come to him. And they test him and say, show me a sign from heaven. Prove yourself to me is the attitude. Having seen miracle upon miracle, 
Having heard his teaching and his words, having seen things that the prophets said would happen actually be fulfilled before their very eyes, they still wanted a sign. New Testament scholar Don Carson writes about this. He says, a sign was usually some miraculous token to be fulfilled quickly at once to confirm a prophecy. It was a miracle on demand. It's God's show on your command. Just do something miraculously, supernaturally, inexplicably, astoundingly extraordinary on my terms and in my ways, and I'll believe. Prove yourself to be real. Show me, or maybe more accurately, it's this. Put on a show for me. All we're asking for is a little something supernatural, spectacular, and otherworldly. That's all we're looking for. And here's the problem. Even with as much evidence as they had and you may have. Even when the probability stacks up to be overwhelming. You still have to choose to believe. And it's interesting about that. Whenever you come to God and you, you come to him in a personal way with your own outcome attached. It's not about you getting to be knowing him and curiously involving your life and understanding who this God is and how he works in your life. It's about you wanting him to do something for you. And it's about your control. So Hebrews 11.1 1 makes it very clear that faith is essential. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Doesn't say proven. The conviction of things not seen. It means believing what's not necessarily irrefutable evidence in that sense. But then you might be asking yourself, well, you know, faith is essential to experience and see and to hear God and to move into an encounter with God. Uh, then what about evidence? You're supposed to be blind. We just kind of move into it. You know, obviously, that's not something that seems like a real wise thing to do. Well, Jesus is really clever. He, I mean, he is incredibly smart. Even if you don't believe that he's the son of God in flesh, you know, that God in flesh, you've you got to look at his teaching. And if you really want to study it, I mean really study it, you, you have to come away, I believe, looking and go, this guy was pretty wise. Because his response is, is this. Although faith is essential, he does say evidence is incredibly important. It is important. It's not something to throw away. So Jesus responds. He says, you believe all kinds of things with far less evidence. Isn't that what life is about? All of us live that way. We all live life in some way, making statements of, of, of relationship and encounter with, with people or with things that we're involved in on a basis of faith. And so he asks this question, how much evidence do you really need? That's really the question. So I love what Jesus does here. He, he, in a sense, calls our bluff their bluff. And he says, let's talk then about faith and evidence. In a sense, Jesus tests them and their wisdom. And actually, when he's testing them, he turns it around. That's what is so interesting. He turns around. He says, let's just test. And he tests them in order to expose the evidence of their own heart of what's going on. And I want to tell you, whenever you are with, in, in, in a place where you're beginning, and I'm not talking with another person, even God himself is starting to move around you. He begins to test what's in your heart. Because you know what God is most concerned about? He's concerned about your heart. He's not concerned about the way you dress, the things you do, all these other kind of things that we get. So he's concerned about your heart and an encounter with him that you live and know him and walk with him. And so he comes to them in, in, in chapter 16, these two verses, he says in verse two, he replied, when evening comes, you say, 
It will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning today, it'll be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you're, you're having trouble, you guys, interpreting the signs of the times. Look at things in a sense you choose to believe on less evidence. You guys, you, you actually take stock in weather reports. How many of you believe the weather reports? Yeah, you guys are skeptics. That's what he says to him. He says, you know, you guys actually take stock because there's evidence that these, this, this thing he quotes here is a proverb that was known in that age. It's one that we're familiar with, too. It's the Mariner's poem that, that says, red sky at night, what? It was delight, red sky at morn, sailors take warn. And there's some evidence to that when you see it enough that you could put faith in it and kind of recognize. And so Jesus is saying to him, Look, you guys, you put faith in all kinds of things, even in the weather report. Some of you put a lot of faith in some of the things that you read as you make preparation to buy stock. Some of you look at the interest rates or economic theories or you look at the mortgage rates or oil. And some of you are really out there on the edge and you go into futures. Some of you kind of look at the fashion trends or the education trends or things going on in music or design. Some of you sports enthusiasts kind of look at baseball teams and some of you look at the twins and you're a little sorry right now. But you're looking at them and you kind of go, I think I'll predict that they'll be in the playoffs. Well, let me also add it to this level. Some of you live with people, actually marry people. You commit your life to someone on the basis of some evidence. Sometimes you usually have a lot of romantic stuff. But you make commitments on character on the basis of evidence that seems to be true. And so here is Jesus. And he stands before them. And he says, there's, there's truth. Faith is essential. Evidence is important. And I'm not going to give you a message on all the evidence of what you need to believe. That's not what this message is about. It's not some kind of apologetic presentation that I want to give. There's plenty of that available. There are all kinds of books. You can go and find books on the resurrection and Jesus. Josh McDowell has an excellent book called Evidence Demands a Verdict. Lee Strobel, who was a former atheist, has a number of books. The Defense of the Resurrection, The Case of Christ for Christ, The Case for the Creation. Don Byerly, someone who lives locally here, does these faith studies. It brings people in. He was a scientist who had trouble, really, as an atheist, didn't believe in this God, but he began to look at the Scriptures because he he had to go, could I believe what they say? Because if if I can get that verified, he did this whole study and he brings people through it. There is evidence. Some of you are in a position where you have been feeling the signs you have felt through the words of someone, you have felt maybe through a song, you have looked up at the sky and seen a beautiful sunset. You have seen in ways the evidence of God pulling on your heart by your, His Holy Spirit. There are books from lawyers to journalists to historians to scientists who can prove through some evidence, at least give probability to the case of making faith. But here's Jesus' point. You live life knowing faith is essential. Making steps of faith on evidence that is not always highly reliable, but for the most part, you live on that reliable evidence. And he says to them, you seem to be able to interpret the physical signs. Here's the question. Why can you not interpret the signs of the times? 
Now, before your mind moves you know, into what the signs of the times are, Jesus is not referring here to the end times. He is talking about seeing God in their midst. He is talking about the fact that among them, as they looked at the life of Christ, his life proved plenty of evidence that God and his Holy Spirit was at work and that through him, he was inviting them into this encounter and relationship with God. They had physical eyes. But here's the reality of living in a relationship with God and beginning to experience him, beginning to hear his voice, beginning to know him. It requires faith because faith opens the eyes of the spirit, because when you have faith and trust and you move into relationship, you are then given the spirit that begins to move in and through you that opens your eyes to be able to see the things that you couldn't see. And the issue is always the heart. There has to be an open and willing heart for faith, which is a gift to be generated. There has to be humility that says, not prove yourself to me, but God, I want to live humbly in a way where you approve me. Not show up to me as my servant on my command and my whim, but may I show up to you as, as your servant, according to your command and whim. And so Jesus ends this little explanation on faith and the importance of evidence. And he makes it really clear as we look at this, that a good and a loving God always provides to every person. And not just here in this room, not just in America, but around the world, throughout the universe. Every person, there's enough signs. God gives enough signs to believe and to know. And so he calls a spade a spade in verse 4, Matthew 16, 4. Jesus says, a wicked and adulterous generation, they look for a sign. He minces no words. This prove it to me attitude is evidence, he says, of a of a wicked and wayward heart. It ex- he exposes the heart. And in this instance specifically, Jesus is standing before people who have known enough. They've had God's word. They've had his promises and his prophecies. These are people who have been immersed in God's work throughout their history. For some 2,000 years, they've seen, they've recorded, they've heard from their ancestors the work of God in their midst. And now, here are these same people standing before Jesus, and they have seen and experienced enough of God's presence through healing a blind, a mute, and, and had just, healed, just before that, it's fed 4,000, standing before him through the ministry and miracles and his teaching. And he says, the next step is faith. They needed no more proofs, no more evidence, no more signs. And I'm not saying that if you're in this place where you're still stacking up the evidence, that's fine. God loves to work with humble hearts. But I'm talking about what he says and he reveals here is the heart that becomes stubborn and rebellious and willful in its blindness. That does not want to believe that has chosen not to discern and and basically disregards those signs that God is bringing about you and has brought about you. I, Voltaire, the French atheist, was at least honest when, when he was presented this a uh, hundred years or so before this. And he says, even a miracle, if it should be wrought in the open marketplace before a thousand sober witnesses, I would mi- rather mistrust my senses than admit it a miracle. So the question Jesus raises is this. When you come to him, is it about wanting to believe? Is it, is it a curious desire to understand and know and have an encounter with this God? Or is it really with some kind of outcome attached so that really God is merely no different than any kind of other instrument that you use in your life to get what you want? 
It says in John, the last couple chapters, chapter 20, verse 30 through 31, it's paraphrased as I read this from the message. I like the way it's said. Jesus provided far more God-revealing signs than there are written down in the book. And these are written down so that you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and catch this, and in the act of believing, have real and eternal life in a way he personally revealed it. I mean, evidence is important, but at a certain point, God says faith is now essential. And I love Jesus. He doesn't have to. He has done plenty. But he goes, you know, I'll give you one more sign. I'm going to give you this sign. I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah. And so now he talks about not just the essentiality of faith and how important evidence is, but now he just says, I'm going to give you a significant sign, a significant reality, the sign of Jonah. And this is a sign that I will leave for all time for all people. It is the one sign, it is the one hinge of all history that when you look at this, if you want to, with all your heart and with a humble heart, I will reveal myself to you. So what is this sign? Verse 4, a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but Jesus in all his, his um, gracious and goodness doesn't turn and get angry at him, but says, but you know what, not only giving you, except one, sign of Jonah. And then Jesus left him and went away. It's a really kind of interesting thing that Jesus left them and went away is, is an important part in this book of Matthew that we're looking at. Because at this point in Matthew, he basically says, you know, all the complaining, all the things that you want, all these things that are going on right now, it's, it's over. I'm, I have given you all that is necessary for you to see and to believe and to move into this. Now, I'm moving this way. If you want to follow me, that's your choice. What's the sign of Jonah? It was the sign to the Ninevites. Jonah was sent to this heathen city to ask them to, to repent and to move into a relationship with the living, true God. And so he appeared to them as one who had been in the belly of a great fish for some three days. He was delivered from certain death, and, he, and as a result of that, appears to them and invites them to humbly turn to the living and true God. Jesus turns to the Pharisees and to the Sadducees and turns to us and he says very simply. And in this case, when he says it to them, it's almost a year before he actually goes to the cross and the resurrection occurs. So this is a year ahead. He said, I'm going to give you a sign. There will be only one sign. And it is this sign of Jonah. I will be placed in the belly of the earth for three days and I will appear before you as one delivered from certain death. And I will invite you with humble hearts to enter into faith. So you might encounter this true and living God. Now, I want you to note this because this is incredibly important. He says, I'll give you a sign, but this is not the kind of sign they were looking for. Remember, they wanted something immediate right now that would be just a display that would from heaven come and they would control him. He, he basically says, I'm going to give you a sign, but I'm not going to do it the way you want. I just God comes to me that way a lot. I, I, I can tell you this. too. God will come to you that way. God will come to you and, and you'll be asking him for a sign. But you know what? He's going to come to you in his way, in his time. But it will require faith. So a year before that, not the way that they were looking for it. Jesus says there's a sign that all history can look at and study, that they can examine and question and prayerfully and humbly with an open and willing heart. Look at this sign that points to the, to the truth of this God who has made himself available so that you can live in relationship with him.
And it becomes significant when it becomes combined with faith. As one trusts, one sees, one's heart is open. One begins to move into and experience that relationship. And faith always allows you to see God. Jesus said it this way, blessed are the, in this interesting, pure in heart. What's he trying to do? He's trying to get to the heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. For what? For they will see God. Now here's what the eye of faith sees. Here's what the resurrection reveals to those who have eyes of faith. This, this is not just words to people who have faith and who understand and who, who then understand what the resurrection is about, this empowering Jesus who, who comes, in, in, comes from the grave with the, the love and the life and the grace and the mercy and energy of God, which at this point in history turns all of history in a whole new direction, not just for people, but for all creation. All was being restored, redeemed in this act of Jesus Christ. And as a result of this act, there is a new way of looking at life. There is by faith a way to see things. That you didn't see. So that now what happens is the resurrection is the truth that every promise God has ever given you will be kept. His word will stand. And the resurrection becomes the confirmation that God will do what he prophesies. What is said will happen. Fulfillment is merely a few days away. It's a guarantee that your sin is forgiven. Yesterday's, today's, and tomorrow's. Those who look at the resurrection, who have faith and begin to see with the eyes of God, who begin to see with the eyes of their spirit, they recognize it's the availability of God's power to overcome any and every obstacle that is in us or before us. It's the reality that there is no will stronger than the will of God. It's the display of the irrepressible energy of God that no lifeless body bound in burial wrappings, no two-ton stone, no Roman guard, no calculating calculation, calculations by some fearful religious authorities. No jealous, angry, defiant devil. No grip as strong as death will ever stand in the way and the will of the life force of God. It's the certainty that this life is not the end. And that there really is a place that Jesus is preparing for those who love him. I want you to know, because in this year, something may have happened in your life where you have lost one. This day is the yearly reminder, the annual recalibration, in a sense, that this life is not the end, that, that what is going on, God will someday put his hand to it and say no more. It is this resurrection that is the knowledge that someday every tear will be dried. Every sorrow will be swallowed up. Every enemy will be overturned. It is this day, the resurrection, that we have the confident expectation that we will with joy enter into eternity with those who have gone before us. It is a conviction that the last time you saw, spoke, touched, hugged, and held one you loved wasn't the last time. Nor will it be the last time that you see, speak, touch, hug, and hold this one you love. I received a, a note on Friday from someone in our congregation who's attending our church and said, Kevin, heaven is real. This became more than a belief for me this holy week. It became a tangible truth. My 86-year-old grandmother, whose eyes were failing, who was in, she says, um, was very sick and had been moved to a hospice. Couldn't see well with the physical eyes, but she goes on and says, while her body is failing, her mind and spirit remain strong. I've had the blessing and privilege to spend quality time with her, saying goodbye, stroking her hair, 
thanking her, holding her hand and listening. It has been a special time, especially watching her transition from this life to the next. As she is taking her last breath, that veil, that curtain that seems to separate this physical realm from that which is spiritual was so thin. And on Wednesday, she was resting, but woke up to tell my mother that she could see a table and that at this table, there were many people waiting for her. She described her parents who had been dead for many years and her sister and brother who had also passed away. And then she said there were many others, many other people who she didn't even recognize who were waiting for her arrival. And she was excited to see many birds that she could feed there. She loves birds. And for you, pet lovers, you know, the dogs and all the other things that you're hoping for. And she wrote this, don't chalk this up to strong medication. She is completely at peace and ready to go. As she says, go home. I'm quite certain that the next time that I see her, she will be at the same table with an open chair waiting for me. This is this yearly reminder that what is to come is real. It is for those of eyes of faith that can see that. But I want to share with you something. Lest you think heaven and, and the resurrection is all about somewhere out there someday. Jesus gave a completely different picture of it. It was always about heaven. He prayed, may it come down now. May it begin to live in us and through us. That's what his prayer. If you think about the Lord's prayer, it's about heaven coming here that his will might be known now. So Jesus gives a completely different picture. He says it doesn't start. Someday, but actually, for those who faith who have the ability to see, it starts now because as you begin to encounter God, He begins to change who you are. He begins to change your character so that you can move into the people within into relationships with those who you most love. Um, and, and He begins to, to change that relationship and the relationships with others. He puts within you His eyes to see, His heart to love, His grace because you needed it, His forgiveness because you needed it, His peace because you needed it. He begins to place these things within us so that as we begin to live this life, His resurrection power flows through us and touches others. And we become a sign. They're not just signs around us, signs you can see in other people, signs that you see from the Spirit. There are signs that you become to the lives of others. Your life is significant. It is a sign to be used of God to bring His life and love to others. This isn't about coming on Sundays to, to sing some songs and to get together and be this nice community or club. This is about a people, us, coming together saying the life of God is real. And He's so real in us that everywhere we step, every place we put our foot, this God is living through us. That's the resurrection. We sometimes think it's out there, somewhere. It's here today. I heard this story this, uh, just a week or two ago. I was... In Arizona, and I was at this uh, conference where I was involved with, and Bruce Wilkinson, who wrote the book Prayer of Jabez, he had, that was a New York Times bestseller a number of years ago. He told a story. He was with his son in Africa. They were there doing some ministry. And his, his, his older son at that point um, was hungry. He had come home. Bruce did. It was late. He was tired. He had gone to the bank. He had gotten a wad of cash, knowing that in a couple of days he needed to go travel again. He had it in his pocket, and his son said, let's go uh, to get some ice cream. Well, he knew that most ice cream stores were closed in that area, but he went and he went with his son. The doors closed. The waitress saw him knocking out there. That She opened it, and he said, I realize it's closed. And she said, you know what? Okay, I'll, that's okay. I'll go get you some ice cream. She went into the back to get some ice cream. And uh, he sat there with his son, and he's sitting there. He said, you know, I felt this kind of prompting in my heart, the stirring. 
that said, uh, and I just took it as, as, as kind of, it wasn't a voice I heard, but just prompting it, give her a good tip. And so he was rolling it over in his mind. He's tired. He's thinking, how much should I give, Lord? And the Lord didn't say anything back. So he was just kind of going, I don't know what to do. And then his son at a certain point turned to him and said, yes, she was still out getting this ice cream. I uh, said, you know, Dad, I have this sense where to give her a good tip. And he goes, easy for you to say. You're not leaving it. And he goes, I think so too, son. Still didn't know what to give her. When she came back, she came back with two bowls of ice cream. It was as sweet as could be. Gave it to them. Bruce was nervous, again, tired. Didn't want a bunch of attention drawn to him. He had just decided he took the whole wad. He said thanks to her and dropped it in her apron pocket. She walked out. And she came back in, a few, in just a few minutes with tears coming down. And, he, and, and she said, um, you know Jesus. And he goes, yeah, I do. Why? And she said, you know, uh, tomorrow morning my son and I will be evicted from the place we live. And due to some circumstances that have occurred just recently, I can't pay my rent this month. And it's just been really difficult. And, and I cried out to Jesus. I didn't tell anyone else. I've just been crying out to Jesus. Jesus, you've got to do something. I, I don't want to be on the street with my son. And she said, only Jesus could have told you what I needed. Because you put the exact amount in my pocket that I needed for the rent. Now, that's a huge, spectacular sign. And God sometimes does that. But he does all kinds of things. Because here's what the resurrection is about for those who have eyes to see it, who are willing to trust their life to this God and live this life in a partnership with him so that your life becomes a sign significant to people. This Easter message is that you are a sign. You get to point other people to God through your relationship that flows out of his love through you. The resurrection is not merely about some age to come. It, it would be sad in some ways just to go out of here going to hope for something out there. It's about now. It's about the, the very age we live in today. It's about the touch of God through a hug you give. It's about the power of God displayed through an addiction that you've overcome. It's about the patience you express that you learned as God was patient with you. It's about the wisdom of God when you give a loving correction. It's about the forgiveness of God you offer to someone who's offended you. It's about the peace you bring into a room that's full of turmoil. It's about the character developed that other people see in your life and you know because you know it was only God who brought you to this place. It's about the perseverance in tough times, knowing that what the resurrection proves is true. And that is no matter what it looks like right now, no matter what's going on and what you sense with your eyes, with your ears, with your touch and all the different senses that are going around you, you know that ultimately God wins and so you have joy. It's about the kindness in the note you send. It's about the care in a call you make. It's about the tenderness in a smile that you display. It's about the presence of God experienced when people of different generations, races, backgrounds join together, put aside their preferences and worship God with one voice saying, God, it's to your glory and your glory alone. And when people come in, they go, wow, God is here. Your life is significant. Your faith is essential. There is evidence. It is important. It is available because of the significance of what we celebrate this day. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we see signs that point to Him 
And we get to be signs that point him to others because of this day.